everyone, and welcome to this episode of our Seven Investing Podcast. I'm Seven Investing founder and CEO, Simon Erickson. And if you've been following the news lately, you've seen quite a bit of headlines about Bitcoin. It's now pushing $40,000 per Bitcoin, and there's a lot of attention on this asset class. But what does this really mean? What are the fundamentals behind Bitcoin? And is this a viable long-term investment strategy? We think that it is at 7investing. And we recently signed a partnership, long-term partnership with CryptoEQ to help all investors make more sense of what's going on in cryptocurrency. We simply don't want anyone to be in the dark where they don't know what's going on with Bitcoin or how it can impact stocks in the market. And so I'm really excited this morning to be joined by Spencer Randall. Spence is the co-founder and CEO of CryptoEQ. He has a very informed and thorough opinion about what's going on in cryptocurrencies. Spence, thanks for joining me here on the 7 Investing Podcast this morning. Thank you for having me on, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to touch on a lot of topics here, Spence, because I want to pick your brain about what um, is pushing Bitcoin's price higher in the retail markets, what's going on with cryptocurrencies in the enterprise markets, and how investors can get access to this through institutional new products. But let's start at the 10,000-foot level first on this. Uh, we had you on the live stream yesterday. So one question that I'd like to ask you again would be, can you describe CryptoEQ, uh, which is the company that you created, and what are your goals that you hope to accomplish? Yeah, thank you, Simon. Uh, at CryptoEQ, we're helping simplify uh, investing, trading, and learning about crypto. So when I think back to you know, when I started to wrap my head around Bitcoin, and it, it took several months, this was back early 2017, uh, it was a very complex space, uh, very complex technology, and I, I'd say that still holds true today. Uh, so there needs to be a, a lighthouse, a trusted brand, you know, really a morning star of crypto to help shepherd millions and millions of people into this new asset class. And that's what the team at CryptoEQ is working hard every single day to do uh, for the seven investing audience and in the global community uh, of investing and trading. There is so much speculation around cryptocurrencies right now. You have developed a framework to actually evaluate what they're worth. Can you tell me about the methodical approach you're taking to valuing cryptocurrencies? Yeah, another great question. Um, we get this one a lot, right? It's, what's the fundamental value of something like Bitcoin? Uh, there's so many different crypto assets. There's thousands. So very early on, uh, we immediately saw the value in being systematic about the way you think about cryptos. Uh, there's so many different use cases, types, networks. Uh, there's so many factors to consider. So we've developed a 10-point framework. We call it our core rating framework. And in that framework, we cover everything from the founding team of the project to the governance model of the project to the token economics. Uh, we even get into regulatory concerns, potential regulatory concerns around the project. Uh, so a 10-point framework that every single crypto asset that we take a look at at CryptoEQ.io, you can trust that it's ran through that framework uh, so that you have some kind of standard, some kind of North Star to help guide you as you're learning about this asset class. And can you walk me through what differentiates cryptocurrencies from one another? I mean, there are thousands of cryptocurrencies that are tradable out there, just like there are thousands of stocks that are tradable out there. We, we look at fundamentals, 
where we're comparing things like price to earnings or price to sales, but it's a whole different ball game in cryptocurrencies, right? These are not all interchangeable with one another. Yeah, the, although some of the principles apply uh, that you would use in, in equity investing, uh, you really do need a new playbook uh, when you start thinking about uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, and so we've written that playbook and, and you ask, you know, what kind of differentiates the value? Um, we, we literally consider hundreds of factors uh, when we do these core ratings and this 10 point framework. Uh, but I, I would say one, one fundamental thing that's different, uh, when you talk about Bitcoin, when you talk about Ethereum, these are distinct, separate networks, uh, distinct, uh, completely separate communities of developers. Um, and when you think about just one blockchain, you know, like a Bitcoin or another blockchain like an Ethereum, it's a little bit different than in equities where you have uh, your tickers uh, and you have your, your brokers. Uh, these are entirely different infrastructures, right? Bitcoin, uh, its strongest narrative right now is digital gold. Um, Ethereum could potentially be the evolution of the internet. Um, so when we think about each infrastructure that is Bitcoin or Ethereum or other crypto assets, there needs to be a lot of nuance. Uh, you need to consider the use case. Uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin have very different missions. Although you know, for the average trader and investor, they're the blue chips of crypto. Um, and so as you get more into the weeds, you have to consider the use case and all the nuance around um, each crypto asset. That's a great thing to keep in mind that these are platforms, networks, currencies that are being built upon. They're not just short-term um, trading, uh, you know, people shouldn't be thinking about this in isolation of what's the price of Bitcoin should be thinking more in terms of what is Bitcoin enabling out there for, for people or for companies to do. Agreed. A good analog would be uh, Tesla. So for equity investors thinking about Tesla, you know, if you write Tesla off as simply a car company, you're probably missing the big picture. You know, Tesla is much, I would argue Tesla is as much an energy company as it is a car company. Um, and so if you, if you look at, if you're just learning about Bitcoin or really opening your eyes to Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, if, if you're kind of on zero and it's your first step, uh, I encourage you to think about the infrastructure and communities developed around these uh, crypto assets and how category shifting and redefining they really can be, uh, right? Tesla is, is so much more than cars, uh, right? It could potentially change energy consumption at a global scale. Uh, so when you think about Bitcoin, you think about the possibilities or Ethereum and the possibilities, these are disruptive technologies. And so I encourage people to you know, take a deeper look, look past the price action. Let's start thinking about the fundamentals of these crypto assets. So let's look at both of those for our podcast here today, Spence. Let's look at the price action first and then longer term, what's taking shape from these, but I, I've got to ask you, I mean, we've seen the price of Bitcoin just soaring these last 12 months. It's up 300% and is now pushing, I believe, $40,000 per Bitcoin, uh, depending on the day that you check that. Is this a short-term bubble, as I've seen it referred to out there, or are there fundamental drivers that are unappreciated by people that are looking at this maybe a little too short-term? Yeah, uh it's another great question. Uh, we've, we've gotten that one a lot. Is this a bubble? Uh, you know, no, uh, I would say it's not a bubble. Uh, one of the things I'd like to invoke here is the stock to flow model. Um, this is a fundamental model that's used to evaluate the price of things like gold, silver, and platinum. So other commodities 
Um, so when you think about Bitcoin specifically and its stock to flow model, you know, we're looking at the uh, issuance of new Bitcoin through Bitcoin mining. And we're looking at the stock or the total available uh, supply of Bitcoin on the market. Um, and so when you, when you chart that against price, right, um, we would actually at $40,000 Bitcoin be ahead of schedule. Right? So this pullback that we had uh, kept us right on track. The stock to flow model has us at about $30,000 is the, the fair market price of Bitcoin um, for the month of January, uh, bumping up to about $40,000 mid-February. Um, so, you know, I think this correction that we just had of, of about 25%, um, you, you mentioned that the volatility of the upside too, you know, 300% in a year, uh, that brought us right back down to kind of the mean that we would expect uh, for the price of, of Bitcoin as it is today uh, on the stock to flow model. And that's a relationship then, Spence, between the available supply of Bitcoin that has been mined out there versus how often it is being used and the adoption that you're seeing. Is that a fair way to recap? Yeah, so you think about stock to flow is, is what's available uh, on the market today. Uh, charted against what uh, is being issued by the network. So the unlike gold, uh, silver, and platinum, uh, Bitcoin is issued based on an algorithm. Uh, there's consensus. Uh, it's a it's a predictable, very predictable schedule. Uh, it's it's like clockwork. Right. So we know exactly how much Bitcoin will be issued uh, every single day, every single year. It's it's very uh, it's programmed. Um, and so when you, when you know those factors, those are known, uh, and you chart price, uh, this kind of 10,000 know, foot view of Bitcoin fundamentals as it pertains to price, in my opinion, is, is the best way to think about these broader cycles. Spence, I have to take a second to tell a story that I bought my first Bitcoin at $248 and uh, wrote it up to a price that I was able to sell it for a hot tub and a self-playing piano. And I felt like a genius here at home when I did that. But I'll tell you, man, now that I see it going even higher, I'm starting to feel less like a genius as this continues to march steadily higher. Yeah. But it sounds like you've got a long-term plan and some quantitative way to track what is expected versus what you're actually seeing out there. Yeah, uh, that's, there's a lot of stories like that. So I mean, uh, what, I, what I like to sprinkle in here with, with folks when they talk about you know, selling selling tops or, or exiting, um, if you match uh, your principal investment with a considerable amount of your time doing research or you match it with high quality tools like 7investing.com or cryptoeq.io, I think that, that that investment of time gives you the confidence to hold through any volatility or hold in the long term, uh, yeah, I think if you if I were to calculate how much time I spent researching Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and things like it, it probably if you know I put a value you know, hourly rate on my time, it, the value probably matches my holdings. You know, I, I've been in this space for years and years, uh, and so that's where you know the strong hands I think are born, right? When you look at this twenty five percent move down that we had recently, a lot of people that have watched. Uh, you know, several market cycles in crypto, you know, been here through 2013, 14. This is a dampened move to the downside, right? We have folks that have, you know, witnessed 40%, 50% corrections when the market was smaller. So, you know, I think as the, the crypto market continues to expand and, and we're looking at a potential trillion dollar asset in Bitcoin, uh, volatility will continue to be dampened. So, 
knowing that, that there is a lot of volatility in this, how do you think about investing in cryptocurrencies if you also have other assets and stocks or elsewhere? Is this something that you take a, a 5 10% stake? You say, hey, I'm willing to put this in a more volatile, higher risk investment? That's, Simon, that's, to be candid, that's how I got started. Right? 5 to 10% of my investable assets allocated to alternative investments. Uh, at the time, alternative investments for me were bullion and uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, so I think five to ten percent is a, a great starting point. Um, and then, you know, as the market expands, likely you will need to rebalance. Uh, you can you can see rapid appreciation, especially with the, the cryptocurrencies. Um, and you know, you still uh, it's it's a nice hedge, right? If, if you're if a lot of your, your investable assets are real estate uh, in equities and bonds, which are all tightly pegged to the dollar, uh, it behooves you to have a few hedges, right? Bullion, uh, cryptocurrencies that are you know, blue chip cryptos, things that can move uh, at weak correlations, maybe even uncorrelated to uh, our, you know, our stocks, bonds, and, and real estate. Makes sense, Spence. And, you know, as COVID starts phasing out here and we're able to, to have social gatherings again, I can't wait to see you become the Bitcoin guy at cocktail parties as we start having those too. Uh, <laughs> let's shift gears, man. Let's let's go to the enterprise piece of this too, because we mentioned kind of Tesla as a, as a, as a car company, you know, versus a energy company, all the other things it can become. We've started to see enterprises adopting blockchains and, and buying Bitcoin for their own purposes. Um, one of the most Recent has been, you know, we've seen MicroStrategy putting it on the corporate treasuries. They're moving things from cash to Bitcoin, and that has unlocked a lot of value for equity investors based on those decisions. Uh, how do you see the relationship between cryptocurrencies and equities? Is, is there a relationship between the companies who are the innovators in this um, and the benefits that they are appreciating from it from a commercial perspective? Yeah, I, I think the themes that are developing are, you know, as, as crypto continues to prove that it's here to stay, there'll be more and more overlap. Um, when you look at MicroStrategy, for example, or Square, in their decision to allocate some of their cash reserves in their treasury to Bitcoin, it's, I think it's fundamentally the same thing we just we talked about for retail investors and traders, a hedge, right? Uh, they're looking to protect uh, their balance sheet just like a retail investor and trader is looking to protect uh, their holdings, uh, their viability, their, their quality of life. Uh, so I think, uh, I think of MicroStrategy's move, uh, Square's move uh, to allocate some of their balance sheet to Bitcoin as a means to protect uh, their organization for the decade to come. And then how about just kind of the, uh, the tangential effects too? I mean, we saw a bump for NVIDIA and AMD when mining was super popular. Everyone was buying GPUs uh, to mine cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Do you see anything like that um, that investors should be paying more attention to right now? Yeah, so uh, graphics graphics cards are still a part of the mining ecosystem, right? So we could see uh, that trend come back around. Um, you know, there's still proof of work chains uh, that's the, the term that we use in, in the cryptocurrency industry to say it's a proof of work mining consensus and algorithm. Um, so graphics cards and companies that produce graphics cards could see another uh, wave of exuberance as people uh, start to regain interest or expand uh, mining operations. 
that are graphics cards based. Um, we could also see uh, MicroStrategies and Square, sorry, MicroStrategy and Square uh, be the first of many, right? How many other corporate treasuries may make that decision to allocate a considerable amount of their cash reserves to something like Bitcoin? Um, to how many, how many different organizations would it take before we see institutions holding you know, up to 25% of the available Bitcoin? Right? That's, it's, it's something that's entirely possible uh, in the years to come. So, so Spence, uh, to put a sports analogy on this, since we are both from Texas, um, you, we've got a baseball game here. The first inning is the first time anyone's ever heard of using cryptocurrencies for commercial applications. Uh, this is you know, Michael Saylor's out there being in the Wild West by himself doing something no one else has even heard of. And then the ninth thing in the bottom of the ninth is going to be everybody is using this across corporate America. Uh, where are we in corporate adoption of cryptocurrency in the baseball analogy? Yeah, we touched on this a bit in the live stream. I feel like for institutions, this is like the second inning. I feel like it's just getting started. Um, for retail, I, I think that we've seen a lot of exuberance in retail uh, as of late. Uh, but for institutions, they're, they're much more methodical. You know, they have much more complex decision-making uh, processes, right? I mean, you've got a board that you've got to talk to. It's, 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 you can't just, uh, microstrategy, you know, they developed this uh, position over six months. This wasn't, you know, the sailor didn't wake up and, and buy on Monday, right? The, um, so I think that we've had a lot of organizations start that six-month process and that we'll see more and more headlines come out. I mean, Mass Mutual, for example, uh, $100 million allocated to Bitcoin. Right? So we've seen, what, a dozen organizations now make $100 million to a billion-plus allocations to Bitcoin. Uh, how many more are going to follow, right? Are, are we going to see a herd of institutions? It's, it's quite possible. And how about blockchains too? You know, are, are we starting to see some of that? Maybe to step back, you know, it, one of the big use cases for Ethereum has been smart contracts, right? Where you're cutting out the middleman when you're working directly with customers or you've gotten on a schedule where you don't want to start giving up 300 basis points for moving money around, are we starting to see smart contracts and Ethereum or even just blockchains in general take hold at institutions that aren't using it for a corporate treasury like we talked about from MicroStrategy, but in the actual operations of the business itself? Yeah, another great question, Simon. Uh, with Ethereum, for example, uh, you're seeing Ethereum as the base layer of decentralized finance. So uh, financial services and ecosystems that uh, do not require a third party, uh, more so you just trust in the Ethereum network. And it's it's so popular and it's gained so much adoption that Ethereum's seen an increase in network fees. So uh, Ethereum is working very hard, and the development team is working very hard to help catch up with that demand. This is kind of similar in, in 17 when the exuberance around Bitcoin was was so high that the network fees to use Bitcoin increased dramatically. And so when, when demand outpaces you know, the, the infrastructure that's been built, the infrastructure has to catch up. Uh, so the, largely the developer teams of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum respectively are, are working very hard to catch up to all of this demand and make sure that those network fees are able to you know, consistently be lower than uh, traditional competitors. So that's interesting too, Spence, is, you know, we spend a lot of time as equity investors talking about network effects, right? Facebook is attracting more users, which is attracting more advertisers. You've got a virtuous cycle taking shape. 
Is that the same with cryptocurrencies where we're going to see Bitcoin and Ethereum be the go-to uh, that take the lion's share of the volume out there? Or are some of these smaller cryptocurrencies that are more specialized and flexible in what they can do, is that going to be um, a larger opportunity because so much of this might be a case-by-case basis? Yeah, I'd say uh, it depends on use case. Um, I would say that uh, Bitcoin has closed the door on the store of value use case and it's, it's achieved escape velocity. You don't see institutions talking about $100 million, you know, upwards of a billion dollar allocations to any other crypto asset. Uh, is that going to you know, be the case for 10 years to come? Uh, that's a question mark. But in the shorter term, you know, kind of one to three year time horizon, I think Bitcoin is, is the market leader and store of value. Uh, for digital assets um, and it, you know, it's market share fluctuating from 60 to 70% of the entire crypto ecosystem certainly validates that. Uh, with the use case of Ethereum and general smart contracts platforms, I think that there's still uh, you know, an opportunity for other uh, projects to capture some of their market share. They're certainly the market leader. They certainly have the most network effects around their platform. Uh, a lot of educational, a lot of institutions, uh, educational facilities, you know, Rice, for example, they already have programs built around Ethereum, uh, you know, in helping educate people uh, in, in Solidity. So the, the language that you use to develop on Ethereum, deeply entrenched network effects in, in educating people around general smart contract platforms in Ethereum. So that's, that's going to be more challenging to overcome, but there's, the door is certainly open. Uh, in the general smart contracts uh, use case. And, and we're monitoring and we've rated a number of competitors uh, to Ethereum, for example. Sure. And talking about institutions, uh, let's talk about the investing and financial services side of this too, right? I mean, are we seeing headway with Bitcoin? Uh, okay. So let me step back first. We saw Kraken just apply for a bank charter. This is a, a cryptocurrency brokerage. It's now wanting to get embedded with financial institutions so I mean, like this would be something where Bitcoin could be an option with an ETF that you could buy, or maybe you could, uh, rather than having a money market account in your bank account, specify you want it to be in Bitcoin, or if you've got an online stock brokerage, a way that you can directly buy cryptocurrencies. I mean, how are we starting to see this catch on with, with investing institutions out there, Spence? Is this something that's still years out, or are we seeing that today already? Yeah, I mean, when we think about, like, we go back to 2020, we're like, what were like the top three headlines, you know? The PayPal news was huge. Um, so you could actually buy some of the largest cryptos through PayPal. You had uh, the, some of the thought leaders like Paul Tudor Jones. He was one of the first uh, in traditional investing come out and say that Bitcoin would be the fastest horse. Um, and then you had, you know, larger, the larger, more largely the, the themes around the pandemic accelerating uh, virtual adoption in, in all kinds of different aspects of, flight out of cash and into uh, you know, virtual uh, currencies and made, a, made a lot more sense to people. So I think those, those three things coming together um, kind of developed a perfect storm for you know, Bitcoin to be ahead of schedule um, in terms of its adoption and, and price action. Um, but when I think about like Kraken's news, right, and their financial charter to become a bank, uh, regulatory Clarity is, is developing. I wouldn't say that we have it, but it, it's developing. And uh, for things like stable points, uh, we're getting more clarity around stable points. So I think that transacting on a ledger 
you know, a cryptographic ledger, uh, either through a stable coin, a Bitcoin, an Ethereum, will be more um, increasingly easier to do through your traditional platforms that you're accustomed to. Um, you can buy Bitcoin on PayPal. You know, how long is it until your, you know, your bank that you personally use, everyone out there, decides to integrate uh, one or more cryptocurrencies into their, their system? Uh, where you could store a balance uh, you know, in a stable coin or Bitcoin that's federally insured. Right? I, I think that we're a few years out for a lot of these smaller uh, banks, but for the larger banks, uh, they'll be the first mover. Right? Uh, for example, I've seen uh, partnerships between USAA and Coinbase, right? where Coinbase, your Coinbase wallet's integrated into your, your online bank. Right? Uh, so you know, how many more things are we going to see like that where you can... You can you can use you can integrate your crypto exchange, whether it's Kraken, Coinbase, Gemini, into your traditional banking interface. So, a couple more final questions, some fun ones here for you, Spence. Uh, you just mentioned the first one of them, which is Coinbase. And so, my first fun question is: uh, we've we've seen Coinbase is coming public, right? We, people are pegging this at a twenty-five to, to thirty billion dollar valuation. A lot of people are already screaming about how overvalued that might be. Are you bullish on Coinbase going public? As a stock market investment. I'm, yeah, I'm bullish on Coinbase in general. Uh, uh, anecdotally, you know, all the people that I talk to about, you know, next steps in crypto, they're always on the Coinbase app. They've got deeply uh, entrenched network effects here in the U.S. Uh, it is just, you know, in my experience, talking to people about crypto that are new to the space, it's the default, it's the go-to, it's the household name. Um, so I think a lot of that is you could, you could chuck up to their ease of use. Uh, they do have good UI UX, great UI UX, um, and their network effects around their platform in the U S are incredible. Uh, so yes, I'm certainly bullish uh, on Coinbase long-term. Um, yeah. Okay. Let me continue the lightning round bullish on Coinbase long-term. Next lightning round question for you is, does Elon Musk publicly admit to taking a stake, either personally or with Tesla as a company, in Bitcoin in 2021? Yes. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, of course, I, I've never met Elon, but you know, I follow some of his content. I've watched many of his interviews. I think that the Bitcoin community and, and Elon are in the same orbit, right? And they, they both spend a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, so I think it's only a matter of time before uh, Elon decides to either allocate some of their cash reserves at Tesla to Bitcoin or uh, integrate um, uh, cryptocurrency payments into some aspect of what they do. Um, yeah, I'd say I think in 2021 that that would be a yes. And other than Tesla, what's another large company, blue chip stock that's well known out there that also integrates cryptocurrencies into some aspect of what they do in 2021. Who's the innovator that's a large company willing to take a stand on this? Yeah, I, I'd say uh, Square. They, they kind of got overshadowed by the MicroStrategy news, but they made a considerable allocation. I believe uh, their first allocation was $50 million, uh, of their corporate treasury to Bitcoin. And you know, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, has been a long, uh, long-time crypto bull. Uh, so I, I would expect to see more positive developments around the Twitter platform and Bitcoin and, and crypto, um, potentially even maybe integrating some payments there uh, through Square, uh, maybe maybe seeing Square and Twitter 
have some kind of overlapping functionality. Um, that, that would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, we've seen uh, Minute Maid Park. We've seen Mercedes-Benz Superdome. In what year is the first Bitcoin-sponsored sports arena going to pop up into the public eye? It's a, that's the that's the trick because it's a completely decentralized network. Uh, Bitcoin is not you're not going to see you know someone that, that's the CEO of Bitcoin facilitate that partnership, right? <laughs> the Bitcoin arena. I, I mean. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't see it. I can't see it. You could see, um, a, I could see a micro strategy arena with a Bitcoin logo on it. <laughs> there we go. That would be an interesting one. And thank you for the methodical answer to my completely ridiculous question, Spence. <laughs> <laughs> my, my final one for you is where in the world, what country does Satoshi Nakamoto actually live in? He, she, or they could be anywhere in the world. It's a, a brilliant, brilliant team of people that, that built this decentralized network that we know as Bitcoin. Uh, and, and they're, you know, brilliant to have created it, but also brilliant at, at staying completely anonymous. Um, so that I, I think that if you have the intelligence to build this thing and have the architecture, you also know how, if you, if you want to stay anonymous, you likely could. And that, that's what they've done. Well, once again, Spencer Randall is the, the co-founder and CEO of Crypto EQ, also a partner of ours here at Seven Investing. We just announced yesterday the beginning of a long-term partnership. I really think that that his company is doing some incredibly thorough, fantastic research, uh, not just for people who are interested in, in directly buying cryptocurrencies like Bitcoins, but also realizing what the impacts of cryptocurrencies will have on other companies and businesses and how that'll impact us as stock market investors. Spence, thanks very much for the time here with Seven Investing in our podcast today. Thanks for having us on again, Simon. We look forward to continuing to work and grow with you in 2021. Thanks very much. And again, CryptoEQ.io is Spencer and his team's website. Go check them out uh, if you want to learn more about cryptocurrencies. And thanks for tuning into our podcast here today. We are Seven Investing. We're here to empower you to invest in your future. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.